Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. We are in a series called We Get To. We get to here at City Church California. Our vision is this. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become like Jesus, and to build together. That idea of building together is why we have Team Month. It's why we serve on team because we believe that everyone has a part to play to expand the kingdom of God by building in a local church. And so whether you're part of this church or a church wherever you are at, we want to encourage you to not just be an attender but a participator into what God is doing. Because when you begin to serve and build together, pretty soon it's not just some, a church is not just something you go to, but it's a part something you're a part of. And all of a sudden there's an ownership. So it's just like, hey, come to church when you invite and we go, hey, come to my church because you're invested into it. And so as part of a team, uh, we have some cultural statements. And one of those is we get to. We don't have to, we get to. Now that's an attitude for us. Like, hey, we don't do this because we feel obligated or we think that God's gonna love us more or less if we serve. We do it because, man, we get to do this. It's an honor and privilege. But it's also a statement of stewardship that we don't just have to hold or have to accumulate or have to acquire. We get, we've been given to do something with it. We don't just have it to hold on to it. We've been given something. We get to do it. And Pastor Jude defined it again. What is stewardship? And that's what we're talking about this month. It's managing and multiplying what God has given you. Good stewardship is taking whatever God has given you and it manages it and we multiply it. So two weeks ago, we looked at a story about Jesus told to help us better understand what stewardship is like. And we learned that, look, everyone is entrusted with gifts and God's expectation is that we just be faithful with whatever he's given us because there will be a time where he will come and say, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? And then we learned last week the importance of bringing your gifts and talents and energies into a local church and being a part of the body of Christ and how there's an interconnectedness and something that happens when all of us come together and we serve together and we build together and there's stewardship in that. And it's a beautiful message. I would encourage you, if you missed any of them, go to our YouTube page, like and subscribe, and then watch those messages. They're going to change your life. But the question I want to answer today is, is why? Why do we tend to struggle with stewardship? Why do we tend to not do well in managing and multiplying what God has put in our lives? And I kind of put it like this. I think the reason why is I call it the ifs, the ifs in our life. The ifs are what make us feel stuck in life. They're what make us feel stagnant. The ifs are what get us frustrated because it doesn't seem like we're progressing in our life or our career or with our families. The, the ifs keep us from feeling purpose and uh, like we're doing something that matters. Uh, the ifs ultimately are uh, what keep us from stewarding what God has given us. Now, there are a lot of different ifs in our lives, but I'm going to look at three today. And they are if I had more, if I was someone else, and if I had time. But a lot of these things, these ifs, if I had more, if I was someone else, if I had time, keep us, and really what they are is they're a distraction. They distract us into another area or focus on something else instead of focusing on what God has put into our lives right now. 
Now, have you ever uh, heard of this show? Maybe you watched it. It was called Mythbusters. Remember this on Discovery Channel? Mythbusters was about this, this show where these guys used the scientific method to test the validity of folklores or, uh, you know, internet videos or movie scenes. Like, hey, would you really explode if you drank a gallon of milk? I don't know. Let's try it out. You know, and it's like, no, you just throw up a lot. But whatever it is, like they tested it, right? We're not going to be Mythbusters today. We want to be Ifbusters today. Is that all right? We're going to be Ifbusters on, on Father's Day. So instead of using the scientific method, though, we're going to use the word of God and we're going to use it to test the validity of the ifs in our lives. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that they're just simply distractions. They're not, they can't stop us. They're simply meant to try to distract us because here's the truth. When you follow Jesus and he's the Lord of your life and he is in control, uh, nothing on heaven or in hell or on earth can stop you from accomplishing what God has for you. Because as someone who follows Jesus, uh, I know that I already have victory in Jesus so I can do this. But what the devil will try to do is try to distract me because he can't stop me. So can we bust some ifs? ifs today, what the word of God. So we're going to say, hey, look at these ifs. And then we're going to ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible say about that? Okay, here we go. If I had more, if I had more. Have you ever played the, uh, if I won the lotto game, you know, you go on like a car ride. It's like, Hey, you hit the Powerball. government takes 50% of it. But still after that, you've got $200 million. What are you doing with it? What house are you buying? What, what trip are you going on? What are you doing for mom and dad? What are, you, what are you investing into, right? Like we love to be, oh, I would do this and this. And we love to make plans with things that we don't have yet. We love to make plans with things that we don't have right now or we want. Now that's not bad, that's a fun game. But I, I think sometimes we sometimes make that approach to life as well. Well, if I had more, I would do more. If I had more money, then I, I would budget and I would be better with my finances. If I, if I had more money, right? If I had more money, then I'd be more generous and I would, I would tithe to my church. Or if I had a bigger house, if I had a bigger house, then I'd be more hospitable and I had people over and I'd host a city group, like if I had a bigger house. If I had a better job, if I had a better job, I'd be a better worker. Like I don't put a lot into my job because the boss doesn't care about it. I have a crappy job. No one cares. No one sees. But if I had a better job, oh, but I'd be a better worker. I'd show up early. I would give it my very best if I had more. If my spouse was more blank, then I would definitely be better. I would act differently. I would treat them differently. I would, I would do different. But they, I wish they were just more like they used to be. I wish they were more like this. And if they were, then, then I would be a better husband or a better wife. Right? If, if I had more, if I had more. If I had more opportunities, I'd be further along. If I had more opportunities. If I had a better teacher, I'd do better in school, right? If I had more. And what happens is those ifs distract us from the present. They get us focused on what we didn't have or what we want to have someday and not in what we have right now. See, godly stewardship, good stewardship is all about being in the present. It's doing what you can with what you have right now and not getting distracted about what I don't have or what I want someday because that kind of mindset and focus keeps us from really working and stewarding what God has right now. Now, what does the Bible say though? Right? So what does the Bible say about stewarding what God has given us. Matthew 6.34. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew 6.34. I'm going to read it in the message paraphrase version. But Jesus is speaking and he talks about this idea of focus. And here's what he says. He says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow because God will help you deal with hard things when they come up when the time comes. 
Give your attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. And don't get worked up about what hasn't happened in the past. Give your attention to what God is doing right now. That's what scripture says. So what is in your life right now that you can give your attention to? You know, is it your marriage? Is it our marriage that we could give our attention to right now? We're not going to work out, but what they will do or not do or what they used to be or not used to be, but what we can do right now to cultivate and steward the marriages and the relationships that we have in our life. What, what is in your life right now? Maybe it's your kids. I mean, what can you do? Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now in your students' lives. I mean, as a, as a father of four, six and under, and a set of twins thrown in there, sometimes I find myself in certain phases, and maybe you've heard this phase, or maybe you've thought about it or said it. I mean, it's just a phase. It will pass. God, please let it pass quickly. Right? It's just a phase. It's just a phase. But here, what the Bible is saying, no, it's not just a phase. It'll pass. What it's saying is, hey, it's just a phase, so don't miss out on it. Because through the maturation of a child, every season of their life is a unique ability to instill and instruct and mold and shape and impart something that is opened up in that moment. That's why City Kids for us is such an important deal for us. Because we don't wait till they get to like high school to really talk about Jesus because we know that every phase matters. That's why for us, we, we don't just show them veggie tails and give them fish crackers every Sunday here. No, they're learning about Jesus right now. Because we know your child, your son, your daughter is an eternal being with an eternal destiny. And they need to hear about the love of God now. That's why we should be all up on City Kids teams right now because we need people like you instructing and instilling and imparting because it's not just a phase. We give our entire attention to what God is doing right now in that room as we're speaking. What has God put in your life? Okay, single people, I haven't forgotten about you. What has God put in your life right now? Man, I know you're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along, but what does he give you right now? He's got your heart. You can, you can steward your heart. You could steward your emotions. I wonder if there's maybe some hurts and some pains that have been caused in your life that you're saying, and maybe when I just get that right person, they will help work that out of me. No, no, God wants to work that out in you right now. Like, what would it be if you stewarded the hurts and pains and you got God allowed the Holy Spirit to heal you and restore you so that when you walked into a relationship, you were like a complete whole person. Like, you didn't need a whole lot of work from that person, but God really did something on the inside of you. You've got your purity. You know, to God, that's actually a big deal. That's minimized in our culture today, but to God, your purity is a big deal. You could steward that. You could manage that. You, again, I promise you, I hear a lot of guys tell me, it's, oh, I'll be fine with my purity when I get married. I got news for you. No, you will not. Because what you take in your marriage, you bring it in with you. But all of a sudden now, I got someone who else is going to be impacted by my poor stewardship. So why don't you, young man, steward now what God has given you so that when the time comes and God gives you that right person, you are as whole, as complete as you possibly can be with the help of Jesus Christ. What has God put you in your life right now? He's given you a job. It may not be the job you want. It may not be the job you deserve, but it's a job. Yeah. Give yourself to it. Yeah. I remember the first job I had coming to California. It was working a $12 an hour, third key manager at an outlet store in Camarillo. That's what I had. And then I had this moment where I'm in the back room and they told me, Mike, we want you. We're giving you the, we're going to give you the opportunity. They were just totally nothing. Well, just giving this to me because I was third key. You're going to get this stock room all cleaned up and managed up. And it was like five hoarders lived there over the last 10 years. I'm like, you guys even care. Like there's like so many denim. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm like literally folding this denim and, and I'm like getting discouraged and frustrated. I'm like, this is what has happened right here. This is what I get. I have a four-year business degree. I'm a smart dude. I could be running leadership circles around these managers. And here I am folding piles and piles of denim. And I had a moment. I'm like, what am I doing? And immediately God spoke to me. 
not, not quotable, not audible, but quotable. Because God can speak in different ways. And he said, Michael, I am more concerned with who you are becoming right now in this moment than what you're doing. So steward that. Steward your character. Steward your integrity. So I said, you know what I'm going to work on? I'm going to work on being great at what I do when no one else is looking. I'm going to work on, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to leadership podcasts and things that work my mind and stretch and invest into my mind. So I'm going to round good, good, good thinkers so that when I get another opportunity, I will lead well. The job that you have right now, it may not be the best job, but steward it. Give yourself to it. Work on the character and the integrity. What has God put in your life? He's given you this church. Give your attention to what God is doing right now in this church. Quick shout out to the people who've been coming to church forever, right? Sometimes we're not careful. We have this tendency to say, oh, if my church was more like that church, then, then I'd really be serving and give them a heart to it. But what if God is giving you attention right now to what he's doing in this church and he has you here for a reason and a purpose, so steward it well. At the very least, what is he giving to your attitude that you can steward? We may not be in control of what I have or what I don't have, what job I have, what relationship in, but I do have control over is how I respond to it. And I can steward an attitude. And I can get an attitude where it says, no, I can do this. I can get a positive attitude. I can get an attitude where I believe in people. I can allow the Holy Spirit to work that in me. There is something in your life right now that God wants you to steward. So Michael, does that mean I can't dream? I can't have a vision for my life? No, 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 please dream. Have vision. Dream big, but steward daily, right? Because the problem with a dream is the moment a dream helps you escape the present, it is no longer a motivation, it's a distraction. So wake up dreaming, go to bed dreaming, but then work during the day, steward during the day, practice during the day right? We want, I know, come on, I want the promotion, I want the platform, right? But sometimes we don't want the practice that gets us prepared for it. So practice, work, steward, manage, multiply, whatever God is in your life. Why, why do we do this? Because what, what the verse is, says here, because when I give my attention, I don't have to get worked up on what may or may not happen because God will deal with whatever comes. He'll deal with it. God, I trust, God is in control of your life. So steward today, knowing that God's in control of not only today, but tomorrow as well. So there's this trust that God's going to do what only he can do in my life. See, God doesn't need your more to do something more. He just needs what you have to do something more. The Bible is full of examples of God asking normal men and women to do something amazing and extraordinary. What he simply wants from them is what they have. There's a man named Moses. God said, hey, I'm going to use you to deliver a group of people who've been enslaved for 400 years, one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world. Most said, how are you going to do it? God said, well, what's in your hand? He said, it's a shepherd's staff. That'll do. And because that shepherd's staff, God used that man to deliver a group of people. Incredible. There was one time Jesus was sitting there. He was, telling, he was ministering to a group of people. Over 5,000 people in the middle of the desert, they were hungry. And Jesus told his disciples, the men who were following him, hey, you feed them. We need to eat. And they said, well, I don't, we don't have the money. We, we don't even know where we get that kind of food. He said, well, what do you have? We've got five loaves and two fish. That'll work. And he blessed it and he gave it to the disciples. And as they handed out the food, it multiplied. And over 5,000 people, and there were leftovers. That's why I know Jesus was probably Italian. Because when he cooks, there's more than enough food for everybody. <laughs> Jesus only needs is what you have. So you give to yourself to your marriage and watch God heal it, restore it, and it turn to something amazing. You lean in in the hard season where your kids are walking through. You watch God do something incredible on the inside of them. You give your best to what you're doing in your job, and you, you trust that God's going to open up that right door that nobody can close when the time is. You steward yourself personally and who you are relationally and your purity, and you watch God bring that person into your life that you never thought would be even existed, and they were made just for you. 
Give your attention to what God is doing right now. If I had more, you have Jesus. That's all you need. And you have what you have today. So let's steward it well, right? How about this one? If I was someone else, if I was someone else, you know, part of stewardship, good stewardship is learning and discovering who God made you to be and then investing time, effort, and energy into developing that and becoming the best version that God made you to be. That's what part of stewardship is, that I'm focusing and giving my energy. Okay, who am I? What are my passions, my gifts, my talents? And how can I practice that? How can I lean in? How can I invest into that? But what happens is when we begin to compare ourselves to others, when we begin to wish we were someone we're not, we get distracted from focusing on us and we start focusing on other people. Oh man, I would do a lot more if I was smart like that person, or if I looked like that person, or if I was confident like that person, or if I was strategic like that person, or if I was uh, outgoing like that person, or if I, had, if I could create music like that person or play that kind of instrument, or if I was good with kids like that person, or if I was good in a meeting like that person, and we start focusing in on how, all, how God has made other people, and we spend our time, effort, and energy trying to be like them instead of focusing and using that time, effort, and energy into being who God called us to be. So who does God say that we are? Right? Because when we spend all this time trying to be someone we're not, instead of focusing on being the person that God made us to be. So who does God say that you are? Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Chapter 2, verse 10 says this. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So what? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So when God sees you, he sees a masterpiece. He doesn't look at you and wish you were like someone else. He doesn't look at you and go, oh man, I wish they, they, treated, they were a little bit different. You know, man, I really messed up on that one. Sorry, but I wish something else. No, he sees you. He sees a masterpiece. What makes a masterpiece a masterpiece? There's not, there's not another one like it in the world. Like people don't travel thousands of miles to see a piece of artwork that I can see for free in Oxnard. Right? We don't spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to see a professional athlete play a game when I can see the same person do the same thing at the YMCA. Right, with something about being unique and special. God sees you that way and he made you that way. But I mean, here's the thing, the quickest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Now ladies, heads up, it's Father's Day. I'm gonna use a sports illustration right now for all the guys in the room. Okay. Uh, all, all throughout the year, ESPN, all these different programs, they always do like the top 50 all-time players, right? Top 50 all-time greatest basketball players, top 10 quarterbacks of all time. And what begins to happen ensues is grown men and women on TV and on radio arguing, arguing about who's better. And how do they prove their point is they begin to compare the two athletes. And in order to make their point, they start picking out what that pers- other person didn't do well or wasn't good at to prove the point that this person's better. Because that's what happens when you start comparing. You start seeing what doesn't make that person special unique. But instead of just completely appreciating the fact that there'll be no one like Kobe Bryant, there would be no one like Michael Jordan, there'll be no one like LeBron James ever again. Let's just appreciate the fact that we got to see them play. When you begin to compare those things, you begin to pick them apart. So what begins to happen now is for us, when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, we start losing the appreciation for the uniqueness that God made in us. And we start spending our time, effort, and energy. Instead of doing the good works that God said to do in Ephesians 2.10, he said, listen, I made you a certain way for you to do certain things. Certain things because you were this way. There are things that you were supposed to do that no one else is supposed to do. That's the good works that he planned for you. But because I don't focus on that, I'm not spending my time and energy in doing the good works God has for me. I spend them trying to be someone I'm not. And the reality is I'm a horrible version of somebody else, but I'm a really good version of Michael. 
and I can be a better version of Michael. But down that road, what begins to happen then is once you start comparing, then you start criticizing. And pretty soon we start living a life in order to make us feel better because we can't be like that person. We just figure we'll just tear them down because that makes me feel better. I know I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person next to you. It's not about you. It's that person next to you. Right? But come on, can we be in the honest? We really pull down the legs. We're in church. It's all right. I just told dad jokes. We're laughing. We'll be all right. Sometimes it makes me feel, here's what I know. When I find myself being critical about somebody, I know at that moment I'm, I'm comparing and I'm not leaning in. Listen, God made you a certain way. He made you a unique way with talents and abilities and passions that no one else is like but that mixture. And guess what? We need you. We need you. This church needs you. Your family needs you. This city needs you. This state, this nation, it needs you. But what we don't need you to do is spend your time trying to be something you're not. What we need you to do is invest into yourself and discover who God made you to be and then begin to practice it and work it and try things out and figure it out and get the, become the best version God made you to be. And then when you begin to walk in that way, then we don't, we don't compare and we don't criticize people. We actually can celebrate people. The Bible talks about this is weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes it's easier for us to weep with those who weep because rejoicing with rejoice. I'm like, oh man, you know what? That's great. I wish I had that too. But when you are really in the vein of who God made you to me, you can authentically and wholeheartedly be excited and celebrate people when God does something cool and he opens up a door and he does something in their life. You're like, yes, that's incredible because you're confident in who God made you to be. Now, how do you find this out though, right? Like, how do I begin to discover who that is and who God made me to be? See, that's why, that's why God sent his son, Jesus. Not only did he send his son, Jesus, to the earth because we were disconnected from God, unable to be in a relationship with him, literally sentenced to live a life without fulfillment, without joy, without purpose, without salvation because of the sin in your life and my life. But Jesus came to the earth and he paid the price that I was meant to pay when he died on the cross. And because he did, now there's an opportunity for every single person in this room to make him the Lord of your life and say, look, I have tried to be somebody I wasn't for forever long and I've tried to take control over my life. But now I see Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible says when you make him the Lord of your life and say, hey, I trust you. You're in control. I'm going to follow you. God, you made me a masterpiece, so I want to know what that looks like. When you make him the Lord of your life, you begin this journey, not only of knowing who he is, but you begin to find out who you are. Because when I have something in my life, uh, something I've purchased, and it's not working properly, or I want to learn how to do it better, what do I do? I call the manufacturer. I go to the person who made it to say, okay, you made this. Can you help me figure out how to get this better or for it to work fully, functionally, the way it should be? God made you. And if God made you, that means he knows exactly what makes you tick. He knows exactly the learning environment you need to be in. He knows the things that you need to walk out in. So when you begin to pursue God and spend time with him, there's this great exchange that begins to happen. The more I know about God, all of a sudden, the more I discover about myself. And that's why this Christian walk can't be just segmented to just a Sunday visit. It has to be a daily looking, going after who God is because he begins to develop and mature and reveal to you who you are. And then we take that and we begin to put it into practice. And here's the reality. That's a little bit messy. You're going to try some things out thinking you're good at something, but really you're not. But that's okay. This is not about being perfect. It's beginning to discover what you're good and what you're not good at. So if you see it as something you've messed up or it doesn't work, it's a, don't say, well, then I guess I'm just not special. No, you just found one way you're not good at something. That's awesome. You've just made it a little bit easier now to figure something else out. So figure it, put it into practice. Man, if I was someone else, man, what if you were you? What you would create? What movements you'd lead? The ch children you would impact? 
the books you would write, the businesses you would start, the lives you would change and impact. And I know for some of us, it's like, well, Mike, this would have been a great message for me to hear in my 20s and 30s, but I'm a little bit older now. So this sounds good for a young adult. No, I remember one of my mentors, he used to always say this. He'd say, listen, it's never too late to become who you might have been. And again, the Bible is full of stories of people, regardless of their age, young and old, God used them all. He just needs someone who said, no, this is who I am. And this is who God made me to be. So I'm a steward that. Man, what if you were you? It'd be pretty cool. Be pretty cool. How about this one? If I had time, man, if I had time, if I had time, I'd take my wife on a date. If I had time, I'd spend it more with the kids. If I had time, I'd go back to school. If I had time, I'd write that business proposal I've been thinking about. If I had time, if I had time, I'd serve. If I had time, I'd start a group. I just, I don't have time if I had time. You know, that, that phrase, that if, it, it's a distraction from one of the most important stewardship principles, and that's prioritizing your life. So how do I prioritize my life? How do I get my life into a rhythm and a flow that is divinely graced and directed so that I can accomplish everything that God wants me to do in this day, this week, this month, this year, this, this lifetime? See, for a lot of us, what we pursue is we try to pursue a balanced life. That's what we try to do. Like, I got to keep balance, everything, work, pleasure, marriage, kids, you know, all this stuff. And we're like that, you know, that halftime show artist who's spinning plates all over their body. It's like, you know, and so when someone suggests that you should do something else, it's like, I don't even know where to fit it. I got no more time. Like, take my wife on a date. I got no time. Like, go work out and take care of myself. I don't have time for that. Serve at a church. Oh, you heard this incredible message last week on well, how important it is to serve in church. And probably for some of us, that's that if that just popped up. I, if I had time, I would do it. It sounds incredible because we're trying to live a balanced life. But the Bible doesn't speak about a balanced life. It speaks to an ordered life. It speaks to a prioritized life. Can we go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? He says this. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be given to you as well. He doesn't say seek equally. He says seek first, right? Not that like life is this pie chart where I try to do a segment is my marriage, a segment is my kids, a segment is, is work, a segment is hopes and dreams. And, and then I try to fit in Jesus quasi serving church kind of thing in there. No, God said, no, don't seek me equally. He says seek me first. And when you see God first in your life, all these other things get added unto you. He begins to direct your steps in whatever season and phase you find yourself in your life to where your priorities begin to line up in a way that allows you to manage your life. It's not about time management. We're not talking about time management because you can't make more of time and you can't take time away. It is, it is equally been given the same amount of time. It's not about managing time. It's about maximizing your time. And you maximize your time being able to prioritize what it should look like with where you're at. Now, here's the reality. We, we all do this. We all have priorities we live by. We either, either intentionally prioritize our life or intentionally. Because if you just look at me, if you look at my calendar and you look over how I spend my time all throughout the day while I'm awake, you would be able to see what I think is important. Because that's what we're saying, right? When we say we don't have time for something, what we're just saying actually is that's not important to me right now. Because you make time for what's important to you, Right? And so what we want is we want a divine direction from the Holy Spirit. Hey, God, how is it I'm supposed to set up my life? Because, because you can be very, very successful with a misprioritized life. But the repercussion of that is there'll be other areas of your life that will suffer for it. 
So for some of us, you have prioritized your, your work. You've prioritized your, your career. And you've become very, very successful. But maybe your marriage is not doing well. Or your relationship with your children, they're not doing well. Or maybe you've, you've achieved this status, but you're not healthy. You're, 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 you're drained. You're physically, you have the body that's of a tw- someone who's 20 years older than you. And so you have, stro- you have attained something in a misprioritized life, but you've, it suffers on another area. But when it comes to God... When he says, seek me first and my kingdom and everything else is added unto you, I know that God begins to lay out the priorities of my life in such a way that not another area of my life has suffered. And I see success and wholeness and growth in every season in every area of my life. I remember for me personally, God had to walk me through this uh, at one point during the year because I had one of those moments, and we probably all had them this last year, where it's like, man, I'm just not winning at anything. You know, like I'm not winning at work. I'm a crappy husband right now. I'm a, I'm a crappy father. Uh, I'm not taking care of myself. The washer and dryer keeps shrinking all my clothes because not fitting anymore. And <laughs> we gotta buy a new washer and shrug another pair. I'm wearing sweatpants all the time. And I had to stay home most of the time. So it enabled that sweatpant wearing. Then you don't realize how bad it got. He throw on those pair of jeans and went, my God, were these mine or Gabby's that I'm putting on right now? Time one of those moments in my sweatpants with Jesus. I said, God, I, I'm, I don't, and then you know that moment you get though where you're like, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> like, where do I start? Because that's what, when your life is misprioritized, you, you, you don't know where to begin. <clears throat> and so he was like, Michael, I said, okay, I want you to list out for me in the way you think I should prioritize what the labels and who you are, your role right now in your life, the different roles that you have, I want you to prioritize them for me the way you think I should want them prioritized. So I took a breath. I said, well, uh, I'm a son of God first. I'm a, I'm a husband second. Uh, I'm a father third. And then I'm a, I'm a husband slash, I'm a, I'm a leader slash pastor. And he said, that's right. He said, now I want you to order and address your life and your schedule with those priorities. Okay, no, it's not equal time. It's intentionality, right? And so for me, the way I've had to adjust this for me, okay, if I'm a son of God first, that means I have to spend time with my heavenly father every day. Not because, again, I have to, I get to. And if I really think that that is important, and I really see myself that way, I have to make time for that. Now, what does that mean for me? I have to prioritize that. Now, my children get up at like 6.30 at the latest, okay? So if I actually want to have a moment where I'm just with me and Jesus, I got to get up at like 5.30 to 5.45. Now, do I want to do that? God, no. Am I a morning person? I am not a morning person. But remember, if it's important to you, you make time for it. So if it's important to me, and I actually think, you know, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This may not be exegetically sound, but I think there's something to actually seek God first in the first part of your day that kind of like lays it all out. Because I think how you start a day really impacts how you, you know, live it all out. So I spend the first part of my day spending time with Jesus. If I miss a day or I sleep in, I don't get mad or upset about myself. Jesus loves me just as more as he did when I spent time with him. Him. But for me, it's a priority. I make time with God every day. Second, I know that I am a, uh, and also this, God began to show me this. He said, you are, you are a son of God. That means you not only have to take care of yourself spiritually, Michael, but you got to take care of yourself with your soul and your body. You know, self-care is actually a big thing right now. I talk to a lot of people, a lot of different uh, um, uh, professionals, and they say that's the big, one of the things that goes out the door. And I can't be a great father if I'm not healthy in my body, or I can't be a great husband if I don't have the energy to it. And so God began to direct me saying, Michael, I want you to take care of your body. So 
I got on some supplements and I began to work out. And then also for my soul, I golf every week. That's right, I golf. I know, it seems selfish. But I do it, because guess what? I go with a couple of guys from the church every Saturday morning. But here's what I do, because you might say, well, Michael, again, if, well, if I had the money, listen to me. I go to a golf course that costs $10, okay? That is not Torrey Pines, okay? But here's how I'm able to work it. One, I only play nine holes, because that's, my wife said you could play nine holes. Because I'm a husband second. <laughs> and I go Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Again, do I want to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning to golf at 7 a.m.? No, I do not. But it's important to me because there is something about it for me. It breathes life into me. I laugh. I joke. It's fun. It helps me be a better dad. It helps me be a better husband. And I got to take care of myself. So these are things I'm just telling you this is what I do. So I make time because it's important. I make time for it. Then I'm a husband. So my wife and I are intentional about how we spend time with just me and her. Right? We need it because if you're just around your kids, it's never just you and her. No, they want everything and your soul, you know? <laughs> and they're still not satisfied. I mean, there are moments, literally, I was telling Gabby, these moments like you're driving the car, and I just want to start screaming, ah, ah, you know, and just throw it into a bridge or something, you know? And it's just like, it's crazy, man. They want everything and it's never enough, you know? When is it enough, Kennedy and Sienna, you know? Ford, you know? If you ask me the same question 50 times, and Cruz will just, he's a blessing. So he just, I love my crew. I, I'm not gonna lie, occasional whisper him, you're my favorite. <laughs> Don't tell anybody else, but right now. I have to prioritize, because here's the thing, for some of you, you have misaligned your priorities. You, you made kids the higher priority in your life. That's actually not healthy for your children. You think it is, but it's not. A healthy children are produced by healthy marriages. They just are. Your kid will not end up in a therapist's chair because you did not let them play five sports and go to extracurricular activities that will not put them in the counselor's chair. No, you, you prioritize your, your, your spouse first, okay? And then I'm my, my children. Listen, and I can't give them all the time I give work, but I give them quality time. So when I come home, between the hours of 5.30 and 8.30, some people say, well, you're a pastor, you're always on call. No, I'm not. No, because I'm not a pastor first, I'm a father first. So I know my children have me between the 5.30 and 8.30. Unless it's an emergency and you're going to the hospital and someone might be dying, okay, I'm, I'm there. But that's the exception to the rule, it's not the rule for me. The rule is between 5.30 and 8.30, in my work days, it's me and the kids. Not my phone, not anything, because I'm a father. So I can't give them the eight hours or nine or 10 hours I give during the work week. But what I will give them is my quality time where it's just me and them. Because I'm a father next. And then I'm, a, then I'm a leader, and then I'm a pastor. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just giving you examples of how God's been leading my life. So here it is. You want to change your life, you change your priorities. Follow what the Holy Spirit tells you and leads you because it's different. I didn't have to worry about being a husband or I wasn't married. I didn't worry to be about being a father when I wasn't having kids. So your life and your seasons, and here's the reality. When my kids get older and they're out with their friends at night, I can give myself to other people more in the, at night. Right? That can change and that can adjust. But what does God want you to do right now with your life? So... If you're finding yourself say the statement a lot, I, I don't have time. My question is, what are your priorities? Could you allow the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct you into what those are? And all of a sudden, you would have all the time in the world. Because you're not managing it, you're maximizing it, right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And here's what I'm gonna, I, I want to just challenge you with in this moment is this. Okay, what do we do from here? Where do we go from here? Can I encourage you with this? Start with prayer. Start with prayer. Now, in a moment, while I'm bringing the worship team back up again, is we're going to sing one more little stanza song. And here's what I don't want you to Please don't beeline it out of here just yet when that happens. Because here's what, I, we don't do that because that's just what church people do, right? We've, we've got filler. I've got two more minutes. Throw a song at the end of it. No, we do it because we want to give a moment for the moment to breathe 
and the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Because you spent the last 30 minutes listening to a guy speak, but the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So there's a lot of information, there's a lot of different scriptures, and there's a lot of different things you could start with, but I think always make a big decision in the context of prayer. When you're listing priorities, when you're figuring out what do I need to do next to begin to serve, whenever you, what, when you kind of figure out what's the thing I need to give myself to right now, because when the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, what comes with it is a conviction to do it. Because if I can convince you of it today, you'll be convinced out of it tomorrow. But when the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and puts that in you, there's a grace and anointing. So start with prayer. In a moment, I'll have you stand in just a second, not yet. And wherever you're here or you're in, in, your, in your homes or in your rooms, ask the Holy Spirit, where do I start? Is it about really leaning into what God has given me right now? Is it about me to stop comparing myself to somebody else and really maybe go into our grow class? You know, our grow classes, they're available online or live at the 11 a.m. service, but they're on demand. Our grow classes, two of the four classes, uh, one of the four classes is actually all about you discovering who you are. We get personality profiles and gift matrix tests. And so it's a great next step to just to discover. Maybe it's to serve on a team. Ask some questions. Find a team member. Say, hey, what can I do? How can I serve? What can be hard? So you can begin to find out what you're good at and not good at. Or maybe it is to go, you know, go home and begin to prioritize your life. My second thing is this. Start with prayer. Second thing, start today. Hey, don't put off tomorrow what can be done today. So what's one thing? I know it's Father's Day, but what's one thing you can do today? Maybe it's to go home and write the priority list. Maybe it's to go and sign up for a team as soon as you leave. Don't do it now. I'll do it later. I'll do it next week. No, no, do, do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do today. Whatever it is, whatever it may be, God wants you to do something today because what you do today actually impacts your tomorrow. So I don't like the way my tomorrow is shaping up. Change what you do today. Start with prayer. Start today. The other question, the other thing I think you should encourage you with is start with Jesus, right? Can you do me a favor? Stand up on your feet for me. And this is why in a moment, can you do, as I, I talk a little bit more about this, start with Jesus, bow your head and close your eyes for me. And again, why I do this is just, there's a moment where I want you to just focus. I hope I've conveyed to you today that this idea of stewardship and debunking the ifs in your life has nothing to do about positive talk or thoughts or practices. It's everything has to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in a relationship with Jesus, then you begin to see with conviction what God has put in your hands and there's a faith that gets birthed in you to steward it. When this walked out with Jesus, there was this appreciation in, uh, of who God made you to be and a leaning in to discover more of what that is. In a relationship with Jesus, you get direction and discernment and leading and guiding about where your, the way your life should be and how it should look. But it has to start with Jesus. It can't start with a list. It can't start with a, a gift test. It can't start with uh, just a marriage. It has to start with Jesus. So this morning, before I let you go, my question is this. Is anybody here today, you need to start with Jesus. You realize you've made mistakes. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The Bible actually also says, though, that while you are at your worst, that's when Jesus actually died for you. He didn't die for the better version of you. He died for the worst version of you. He died so that you and I have an opportunity to make a decision because Jesus, he, he gave his life, but now you and I have to make the decision. And it can't be one that 
someone convinces you of it's one that the Holy Spirit has to begin to work in your heart. So this morning, if you're here and you say, you know what, with every head by closed, I'm gonna make a decision today to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm done living life without purpose. I'm done living life where I'm not sure what's next and comparing myself to other people and constantly being critical of everybody. I'm done just trying to live in the what if one day. No, I wanna live in the here and the now. I wanna have life of purpose. I wanna have life of direction. I wanna do this life alone. I wanna do it with the Holy Spirit that comes on the inside of me and says, hey, here's how you lay out your life. Here's how you work with what you have. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask you on the count of three, would you raise your hand? And it simply is this, it's an outward sign of what you're making a decision in your heart to do. And the reason why we have you do that, because it's a great next step, because this life isn't meant to be lived in quiet. This life isn't meant to be lived, lived in, in just solitude where no one knows. No, it's something about saying, no, I'm making a decision today because there's a lot of people in this room that have made that decision. And man, we want to be excited for you. So today on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand just saying, I'm making a decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to confess my sins to him and he's going to make me new. And I'm going to begin this journey. One, that's me. I'm making that decision. Two, come on. We are people in here. We are pulling for you. We're there. We got you. Three, anybody here, would you raise your hand for me? Anyone in this room? Thank you for that hand right there. Come on. Anybody else? Thank you, brother. Anyone else? See, I'm making that decision today. Come on. Anyone else? I'm making that decision. Come on, can you all pray with me? We're gonna pray. And you raised your hand, listen, this prayer is simply, I'm simply going to put words to what's happening in your heart. It's nothing special about the words. You've made that decision. But church, can we, we say this together so he knows that he's not in this alone, but he's in this with a group of people that got his back now, right? Say, thank you, God, for Jesus. Jesus, I confess my sins. You are the Lord of my life. And now I look to you to lead me, to guide me, and direct me. In Jesus' name, come on, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap one more time? Come on, so good. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.